Today's episode of the Survival Podcast. I think this is episode 3234. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You can check the title if you're watching the live. I can see the title. It is 3234. Who knows? Um, I assure you it is not because I've been partaking of our subject yet today or anything like that that I didn't remember. It's just been a long week already, and it's only Wednesday. Anyway, we're going to be talking about the state of the cannabis industry today, and I've got a great dude named Rand. I'm going to bring him on in just a minute. We're going to talk about that. He has an awesome company, all types of really cool products, and a deep insight into the industry as a whole. We're going to talk about it from a standpoint of kind of a little bit of industrial use, medicinal use, uh, the economics of it, the entrepreneurship side, uh, and even the recreational side of the cannabis industry and things that are happening and changing, because it's... It's a fascinating world, and uh, we're going to dig deep into that today. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is ButcherBox. And the way I market ButcherBox on their behalf is very simple. You see that big box on your screen if you're watching the video? You see all that meat in it? That box can come to your house with whatever cuts of meat you want, and it can be a little bit of a smaller box or a bigger box. You can add extra stuff. And every month, a giant box of the best pastured poultry, pastured pork, and grass-fed beef can show up right at your house. These guys are actually the only sponsor that I have that do not pay me money. ButcherBox, and I like money. I don't hate money. You guys know that. But ButcherBox has never paid me a dime in currency in, in our relationship of almost five years now. Nope, I trade their sponsor spot for that giant box of meat delivered to my house every month that you can get through the MSB, by the way, at a discount of $10 every single month. Ongoing. We're actually the only partnership that ButcherBox has where you get a discount on every box. And I've also hooked the audience up over the years with a lot of special deals that they've been willing to uh, extend to you guys that are supposed to be for new customers only. Great partner, great products. You really want to check them out. Next up, JM Bullion. You know, everybody knows that I am a big fan of Bitcoin. I even have kind of the the Bitcoin version of Val now, right? And uh, But I'm also, I've never turned away from precious metals as another store of wealth. Stack sats and stack silver. Now, why do you want to stack your silver and or your gold with jam bullion? Well, best price that you're going to get on the stuff that everybody sells. Your silver eagles, your junk silver, all the stuff that, like, the reason you buy silver, it is all the same. That's the point. So why pay more for it? Free shipping and MSB members, you guys get a discount. So that is, it, it just doesn't make sense, in my opinion, to deal with anybody other than JM Bullion when you're going to be stacking your silver and your gold because, well, they take care of this audience and give you the best price. No run around, no gimmicks, no nothing like that. Just really solid stuff. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and jump on into today's episode with our special guest. Let me get him up. Rand, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me on. And I didn't want to say the name of your company up front because I thought I might pronounce it wrong. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't. But why don't you tell everybody the name of your company since I did you a disservice by not doing that for you. All right. My company name is uh, Akira Botanicals. I would have got it right. I was, yeah. just, I was thinking, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher it, and I hate doing that shit to people. Um, can we start out with, before we, like, dig into cannabis, like, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, I know that you're not just – a person with another site selling like CBD or Delta this or that you actually grow your own flower. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
how did you get into that aspect of things in the first place? And I mean, was it just straight into cannabis or was like that just something like gardening and all and it led to like this is another plant? Yeah, basically started our farm in uh, 2016 out of my grandma's backyard. Uh, we were living in Chicago at the time, a little two bedroom apartment. And uh, my days off, I would pop up to her. She her backyard. She lived just outside of the uh, just outside of the city. And I tilled up a little 4,000 square foot plot and just started growing salad greens, kind of Curtis Stone style. Uh, started hustling to different chefs around the city and did a farmer's market and kind of got that first year under my belt. Uh, and the, the very next year, moved down to North Carolina and started a farm from scratch. Uh, you know, the land that we rented had an old general store and an old barn, and that was about it. So it was very rustic. We lived in that general store for the first year, you know, cooked on a wood burning stove, bathed in the creek, eventually got water up to the house and all that. But it was it was rough and uh, just started kind of doing salad mix and microgreens down here. We're about 45 minutes outside of Asheville and kind of found a niche within uh, the local mom and pop grocery stores. Of, uh, of selling, you know, clamshells of salad mix and microgreens. And then basically just, you know, built it up from there. Um, in 2019, I got our hemp permit and we kind of jumped into the hemp game along with everybody else. Uh, and, uh, you know, we got to the fall. We had, um, had a pretty good harvest, but the market was completely flooded that first year. And so I was really at the point where I had taken everything I had and put it into that year's crop. And if I didn't, if I didn't move it, we weren't going to have a farm next year. So uh, luckily though, that winter we ended up winning a, a cannabis cup for our cherry cobbler flower. And that kind of bought us a little bit of notoriety and I was able to move through our product and get to the next season and basically just been trying to get better every, every year since. And so you mentioned the term hemp there, but you and I were chatting off screen a bit about that term. And it is kind of thrown around as a, a broader term, but they're actually it's maybe not the right word. It's just the word people use. Do you want to explain that gibberish I just spouted? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of confusing. You know, typically hemp just referred to true industrial hemp that that grows kind of similar to bamboo. It gets really tall and uh, you plant it very close spacings and you're harvesting at the stalk or the seeds. You're either using it for, for seed or for um, rope or clothing. It's very fibrous. So it's a good industrial textile. But really what we're talking about here is 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 cannabis. It's high CBD cannabis. Um, and so, but the reason people are calling it hemp is because in 2018, when they wrote the farm bill, they defined anything with less than 0.3% uh, THC, Delta 9 THC as hemp. Anything over that would then be considered, you know, marijuana. So instead of classifying this plant phenotypically, which would make more sense, uh, they basically classified it by the presence or absence of a cannabinoid. Um, so it, it's a little bit confusing uh, for most people because really I think we should be calling it just, you know, uh, high CBD cannabis, which is mm. essentially what it is. I have to tell you, like, so one of our uh, MSB vendors, which you're about to join the club of, we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, but John Bush, uh, from his, you know, he started out doing mostly Kratom and then he started adding some of these, uh, I call it loophole cannabis, right, that you can actually send in. Being a kid that grew up in the 80s, and if you wanted to score a little bit of weed, it was a process to do. And you probably ended up with a 
film canister full of half of it was nothing but stems, right? And like you just got what you got. To, even though it was just CBD, to order CBD from him and have this bag about this big show up. And when you look at it, smell it, touch it, you cannot tell that it is a CBD version of cannabis versus a THC version of cannabis. Mm-hmm. And it kind of freaked me out. Like, you know, I'm sure a younger person like, whatever, man, it's legal. You order it. But for like a guy that grew up through like Reagan's war on drugs, yeah. like, and it smells like it, it, the best stuff you've ever had. It's a little bit sticky. And you're yeah. like, I, I can't believe we've progressed to a point where like, you can totally legally do this. Like this isn't some kind of nefarious thing. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm not for walking all over the state, whatever we can. I'm just saying like, this is above board. This is a legitimate business, right? Mm-hmm. And not like a mafia legitimate business. Not like, you know what I mean? A legitimate business. <laughs> like it's a legitimate business. And it was, it was really weird for me to be like, you know, you kind of do the look around, like is anybody here, but we have come a long way and not in a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's it's cool. It's really, you know, this plant should have never been criminalized to begin with. No, um, it, it's kind of crazy that it, it's gone. It's taken this long. But, um, you know, I think most people are generally in favor of it. And so it's kind of coming out now and they're being able to now research this plant and they're finding all kinds of cool stuff on how this, you know, there's it's, it's good for a lot more than just getting high. So that old stereotype of like the Cheech and Chong stoner, never yeah. going to do anything with your life. Yeah, sure. That exists. And that is a stereotype. But um, but really, this plant has has so much more potential to offer um, in, in terms of human health and uh, what it can help people with. Oh, definitely. And, you know. I like to have an adult beverage from time to time, but my opinion is used as it should be used. Cannabis is far safer for oh, yeah. our health than alcohol. Alcohol mm-hmm. goes straight to your liver mm-hmm. and pounds your liver. And there's plenty of people who have died um, from alcohol use. And it, if you looked at it and told it, you would think, well, that's not really, maybe I'd be careful because maybe that, that didn't look that bad. Like they weren't just trashed out on their ass every day laying on the ground and, you know, by the time they're 55, 60 years old, they've blown their liver. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you can abuse cannabis. I, we were talking about that, too. I have a friend. I won't say who, but like, I'm like, you can't really abuse cannabis. Dude has proved me wrong. But like as a as a as a tool, when used properly, kind of the person that got my head the right way with it. Uh, I heard on Joe Rogan, Graham Hancock. So Graham mm-hmm. Hancock and Randall Carlson do all the stuff about like catastrophic uh, civilization shifting stuff and ancient civilizations in North America, what have you. But he at one time was a guy that really abused cannabis. And like he would said, like I would wake up and start smoking cannabis and I would smoke cannabis before I went to sleep. And I smoked it all the way in between. Mm-hmm. And he kind of got his head around like he actually is. He does other things now. He's not really a cannabis user at all, but he's like, if you're going to use it, it should be for a purpose mm-hmm. to expand your thoughts, to reduce anxiety, to enhance your work. Cause believe mm-hmm. it or not, it, it can do that, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're using it all the time, that just becomes your normal waking state. So you're not actually getting any of the creativity or the euphoria that might come with it because that's just your normal state now. And so you kind of lose the effects a bit. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's definitely something that should be used in moderation. Um, but, you know, I don't know how much medicinal uh, effect something like alcohol has, but... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, cannabis really does. It helps with a wide variety of ailments, uh, but that still doesn't mean that it can't be abused. So I always recommend people find the, the most effective minimum dose they can take. Agreed. Um, and that's kind of a good policy with anything. 
I, I think it is, and I think like I actually wanted to talk real quick about there's a lot of people out there that are trying these different cannabinoids, and I'm I'm mm-hmm. saying if you're doing CBD and that's it, I, I I don't know how. I guess you could oh like, take more than you should, but it's probably just you're wasting it. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't cause the cognitive effects in any way that I've ever tried it anyway, and mm-hmm. I've pretty much tried you know edibles, uh, oil, and smoke. So I don't know if there's another way to do that, right? But when it comes to something like your your THC stuff that is either your you know Delta Nine I guess which is old school we all got high on when we were kids or at least people my age did and uh, Delta Eight which is kind of the loophole version which is a different one that fell under that government regulation consuming it as an edible and consuming it as something that you would smoke are two entirely different experiences and I have found in talking to people people that try the edibles. That like they smoked some weed back in 1988 and that's the last time they had it. And they're an older dude like me now. And they're like, yeah, I'll eat one of these brownies or something. They end up having bad experiences at times. They're not going to die or anything, but sometimes you feel like you want to. You want to kind of explain why that is? A lot of times people have a tendency to eat way too much on the edibles. And sometimes it's these these companies will concentrate so much in a tiny little gummy bear. <laughs> so you're putting 100 yeah. milligrams in this little gummy bear. What are you trying to do to people? But, um, yeah, so I think with that is uh, – I guess when you smoke it, it, it's immediate. You immediately know where you're at on the roller coaster, and it's typically going to only kind of decrease in intensity from there. Mm-hmm. When you do an edible – you know, it's still it might take uh, half an hour to an hour to kick in. And a lot of times people will maybe, oh, nothing's happening. They'll eat another one. <laughs> and it's just going to hit them, you know, three hours down the line. Um, so I really caution everybody just start small. You can always take more. You can't take less. And um, and I think if most people for most people, the sweet spot is going to be, you know, if they want those psychoactive effects of Delta eight or Delta nine, uh, it's nice to combine it with CBD because, uh, THC by itself can can kind of increase anxiety in a lot of people. And and uh, CBD is the best thing I have found for curbing anxiety. So it really like rounds out the rough edges that come with THC. But you're still getting the creativity, the euphoria and those other effects that people are looking for. Uh, you know, we had talked about like minimum and, you know, minimum to do what like. Mm-hmm. To me, I, I primarily if I use any of this stuff, it's very close to bedtime. Mm-hmm. It makes me sleep better and have more vivid and interesting dreams. Mm-hmm. Right. That That's kind of my thing. Or like we just, we'd call it back in the day, old, a one hitter quitter. Like if you were just, you know, smoking some weed, like I need a hit yeah. and I'm done. Like that's it. I'm not sitting up getting my mind baked for yeah. hours and having looking like uh, Elon Musk on Joe Rogan. That's not <laughs> my thing. Right. Um, and and I, I think that like a lot of times people say, well, I'm not feeling anything. And, and I said earlier to you, like, do you need to feel anything? And maybe you don't realize that there is kind of this point in between zero and kind of being a little bit looped mm-hmm. where you actually do enhance things like creativity and things like I've mm-hmm. noticed that. And some people refer to that as microdosing. And I think that's to me, that's more of a like a hallucinogenic level, mm-hmm. like mushrooms, LSD type microdosing where they feel nothing, but they get the creative open. Mm-hmm. I think with cannabis, it's more of like small dose. I think would mm-hmm. be a better way to put it. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think for most people, five milligrams of, of, say, THC is kind of a sweet spot. But, every, you know, it's hard to really say. Everybody has a different tolerance uh, for this stuff. And uh, what might hit you, uh, if you're at an anxious point in your life, you know, THC might really 
uh, compound that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, maybe a month ago you weren't anxious and it was totally fine dose. Now with this other stuff swirling around your head, uh, it can actually be too much. So it changes from person to person and even within that person from where they are in their life. And, you know, and it's kind of the same with CBD. You know, my dog, I was giving him CBD oil, probably about 15 milligrams a day. He was about a 50 pound dog and he was showing signs of arthritis. So after about a month, the arthritis went away and he wasn't mm. limping anymore. It was great. He was good, you know, for a whole nother year. However, a year later, he ended up hurting his back and was in severe pain. He wasn't able to use his hind legs. I mean, he was in severe oh, pain. I upped the dose to 150 milligrams of CBD, uh-huh. which is which is a high dose, which is enough for, you know, a human being would really feel that. But that's what he needed at that time to feel relief. He stopped shaking and I could tell it was like it, it gave him the relief that he needed. So, you know, everybody's got a different situation. And so I, I just say start start small and work up there. If the product is legit, you should feel it. You should feel something, even if it's you know, CBD and you're not going to have the psychoactive effects, but you should definitely feel relaxed. You should definitely have, um, you know, an improved ability to sleep and so on and so forth. There's a lot of stuff out there. You know, if you, if you're going to a gas station and you're just getting whatever's at the gas station, they say CBD doesn't work. And it's like, well, there might not have even been CBD in there. Yeah. <laughs> There's really nobody checking. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta find a good source. Yeah. Let's talk about kind of the state of the industry because we're throwing mm-hmm. stuff around here that if you know about this, it probably makes sense. There's probably people going Delta what, CBD what, THC what. So like what are the different types of cannabis that are used internally, like that are used as some level of medicine or a, a, a recreational drug? And how are they regulated and how does that vary based on where you live? All right. So that's a very full yeah. question. I'll do my best. I to can drink tea now and relax. It's all you, bro. Okay. Well, let's see. You've got, you know, you've got different cannabinoids. You've got Delta 9 THC, which is the the one that gets you high. And that's traditionally the one that everyone was like, that was the illegal one. Right. And so when they wrote the farm bill, that was the only one they regulated. They only regulated Delta 9 THC by dry weight. And so we're basically in an industry of of middlemen and loopholes. Um, I would say, you know, 99% of the CBD hemp companies out there don't actually grow any plants. They, they simply buy product from other people, put their label on it. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of great companies out there that do that. Um, but uh, in terms of like where the industry is at, you know, they're always trying to it's really a hype driven industry and people are always trying to go after the new thing. So uh, really, at, at first, um, you know, you just had CBD, CBD oil in 2019, 2020s when you start seeing Delta eight come out. And Delta-8 does have psychoactive effects similar to Delta-9, but but maybe more body-based and not quite as intense. Um, and then from there, we've seen all these other cannabinoids break off that are not actually found in the cannabis plant in any significant quantities or even at all. So you've got THCO and HHC and all these other, and I've never even heard of these. Um, they're not on any COA that you would get. Uh, so what they're actually doing is they're taking the CBD molecule and they're putting it through a series of acids and solvents and they're breaking that molecule into these other cannabinoids mm. that, uh, you know, have psychoactive effects. So they're able to kind of skirt the Delta 9 law, which is why you can walk into any gas station or smoke shop in the country and find, you know, hemp products that'll get you high. 
And then that's kind of just been the whole industry uh, going forward. And it's really hard because there's a lot of gray area and there's not yeah. a lot of, of real you know, guidance in terms of what we can grow, what we can't grow. And everyone's just kind of seeing how far they can push it. And uh, I will let people know that are following the rules and putting question in all caps before their question. I am starring you and putting you in, in, in line for answering these later on. Uh, so thank you to Haas and we will we will get your question at, in a moment. But that kind of does open up the whole loophole can of worms. And there's there's a lot to that. In some instances, the thing that's illegal is now effectively decriminalized, not for someone to sell, but for someone to have. So mm-hmm. here's a situation in Texas. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. So they wanted to legalize uh, CBD here. So they did kind of exactly what the Farm Bill people did. Well, I guess these people that you know are our representatives in government don't know anything about cannabis here in Texas, which worked out for the better, because I, I love when incompetence works to the favor of the people versus the state. So they said that if you had any form of cannabis that had less than the 0.3, I guess it is, or 0.03 THC, whatever that number is, that it was perfectly legal, that the other stuff was still illegal, though small amounts like in possession, like somebody with a half ounce of any plot in their car here is a pretty low level misdemeanor. It's mostly just a ticket. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's not a lot of money for the local law enforcement agency that writes that ticket. And it can it can mess your life up if you get multiples or there's other things going on. It's an aggravating circumstance. But in general, it's a ticket. They take your weed. They probably go smoke it and they, they write you a ticket and you appear a court and you pay your ticket. Well, so with that being said, the, the state put no money in the budget for local PD or the sheriff's department or the stateies or anybody to test it. So they start pulling people over. Yo, man, that's CBD. Well, prove it. No, you prove it isn't. So it costs them like 500 bucks to, to test this. And if they're taking down some guy with a suitcase of it or something, they'll do it. But if they're taking down a guy with a half ounce, they're going to write a $150 ticket to so it's made it completely unenforceable. And so the governor, uh, Abbott, said, you will enforce this. And all the police chiefs and the sheriffs are like, no, we won't. We can't afford to. We have mm-hmm. other shit to do. We don't really want to do this in the first place. Mm-hmm. So like, that's a loophole that exists in Texas that's not airtight. But it's, it, it, it's now kind of just gotten to the point where, like, well, when they come. And our legislature only comes into session once every two years. Mm-hmm. So they kind of were stuck with it and they have other shit to do when they come back in session. So. It's interesting how those types of loopholes propagate themselves uh, and are so different state to state. Yeah, it really is. You know, when they wrote the farm bill, they did not think people were going to be smoking hemp. Uh, yeah. they, they did. I don't think they foresaw that. They didn't foresee people making concentrates out of it. And they yeah. sure as heck didn't see them breaking it into Delta 8 and Delta 10 and all these other things. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, cat's kind of out of the bag. And where we are now is um, – you know, it's it's not really popular for any politician to get and say, you know, we need to crack down on the cannabis industry. It, pretty much everybody left and right's in favor of it. So there's not really the political will to do there. If anything, I would expect the cannabis companies, the big cannabis publicly traded companies to lobby Congress to say, hey, we need to crack down on this. You guys are making us pay half a million dollars for permits and jump through all these hoops. And, yeah. and this guy over here is just selling the same thing and he can ship it anywhere and we can only sell it within the state. So if anything, I would expect uh, if there is a push for more regulation, it'll come from those big cannabis companies. 
Um, but I think you're spot on with the law enforcement thing. I mean, they, they just have bigger problems. We've got a fentanyl epidemic. We've got methamphetamines. And they're looking at this and saying, well, people, it's legal in half the states. Yeah. Um, most of the states have a medical program. Like, yeah. what do you, we got bigger fish to fry. Don't, we don't need to waste time on this. Yeah. Maybe you guys need to go worry about fentanyl. Right. Instead of worrying about weed that you that you probably like most of these guys that are enforcing this law either do or have used this substance at some point in their life. And they're completely fine with screwing up somebody's business or life over it, which is one of the most hypocritical things. And I think it's that that the old age old thing. I don't make the law. I enforce a lot of cops enforce laws all the time. I don't want to enforce. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you give them a way not to, they'll they'll tend toward that unless they're your Barney Five types. Do you think there's like legal market trouble here? Because like you allude to the big companies, like mm-hmm. there's so much overregulation, underregulation, dysregulation, decriminalization. Like it seems like it's a mess. And to me, big companies in every industry love regulation. Mm-hmm. We think that we're controlling big companies with regulation. No, big companies are squashing competition with regulation. That's Absolutely. how that works. Is there a is there an issue here that needs addressing and is there anything that can be done about it? I don't know. It's it's different from state to state. You know, for example, New York just rolled out their recreational program, but they it's something's tied up to where they're not actually allowing these producers to sell anything. So you've got companies that are paying millions of dollars for big facilities and growing all this and they can't sell it outside of the state, but they can't sell it within the state. So they're just stuck sitting on this product and they're waiting for the legislator to give them the green light to, you know, for that, for more stores to open. And so, you know, the, the big companies are trying to get a foothold now and, um, but honestly, it's just sort of like even in, in uh, you know, states where like Michigan, for instance, the price is kind of tanked. And so somebody who lives in Chicago might be paying, uh, you know, eighty five dollars an eighth and they could go up to Michigan and probably get it for 20. Mm. Uh, so just between states, it's really weird that uh, there's not really a, a set price because in some states they're trying to tax it into oblivion. Instead of just letting it kind of grow naturally and in other states, it's it's a little more loose. So I would say um, everyone thinks that the cannabis market is just some huge gold mine. But I, I think there's, you know, because of all those regulations and uncertainty, it, it can be difficult sometimes for these big companies to actually move their product. Yeah. And uh, Joe here saying they put the boutique growers out of business, try to push them out. And that's mm-hmm. that's every industry. That's every industry. And this is like the perfect decentralized industry because there's so much room for research and development that can be done at like the greenhouse grower level, the individual level. And then a lot of um, states, they've also made allowances for people to grow their own unlicensed as long as they don't sell. And they'll say, like, you can grow up to five plants. Well, I've seen mm-hmm. people that are really good at this and what five plants can produce. <laughs> And like you could supply a few blocks easily yeah. and you probably would still have some left over. I've, I've seen some really creative versions of five plants too. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that all puts all this kind of craziness in it. You, you grow, do you do like uh, protected growing, like greenhouse type thing? Are you doing like soil based growing? I know some people are doing aquaponics or hydro. How How, how are you approaching it? Right. So I'm in Western North Carolina where it rains a lot. And so our system, we're growing everything in high tunnels. Um, I can fit about six. Hold on again. Where, where did you say you're from? 
Uh, I'm from Chicago, but uh, we're down in Western North Carolina. Just okay, you're North Carolina Ashton. now. Okay, yeah. I got it wrong. I said earlier you were in Illinois, so he's moved, folks. I'm wrong. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah, the farm was started down here, and uh, it's it's a very wet climate. It's you know, so the bit with thing with these plants is you got to keep the rain off. Um, so outdoor might work okay in Colorado or California where it's dry, but down here, uh, you know, the rainfall we get, those, those buds will just really start to mold if they get wet. So we grow everything in these high tunnel greenhouses, um, and, and we grow in living soil. So, you know, the same beds that we were growing, that we're growing vegetables in were also then when it comes hemp time, we're planting out our hemp plants and growing them in there. And it's a good system. It works well. We really baby these plants. The living soil's great because unlike a hydroponic system where you're feeding, you know, synthetic nutrients, um, you know, I'm kind of letting the plant take what it needs from the soil as it needs it. We've added so much compost and, and built up the soil over seven seasons that I don't really need to feed these plants too much. Um, so, so that's kind of our system. You know, we, um, we've made a few improvements. You know, this is a great climate. We can grow some really uh, terpene rich flower. The terpenes are the smell that you get okay. when, you're, when you're smelling it. And it's actually what they're showing has the effects. It's not so much indica sativa, it's the terpenes that are that are giving you the effect, whether it wakes you up or kind of makes you sleepy. And so it's essentially the plants producing this essential oil as a defense mechanism. And so when there's pests in that environment, it's going to increase the terpene production. If there's uh, temperature fluctuations, it's going to increase the, the terpene production. And so... We've got a lot of pests here. It's a it's a humid environment, um, but that's it can be good for the plants if you can keep it under control. So I don't spray anything. Um, you know, we're basically going through and we're scouting for caterpillars. That's the big one in this area. And uh, we've made some improvements that have really uh, helped us keep that population in check. Uh, one of which is we we uh, we released a bunch of praying mantises at the beginning of the season. Uh -huh. Those things are like just little assassins and they'll go from like a half inch to maybe eight inches in a few months. And yeah. you can just think about how much it has to eat to put on that type of growth. Um, but those things are just little hidden assassins everywhere. And then we also put a bunch out. of high freaking, um, well, mellow, right? Cause you're growing CBD flowers. So mellow, yeah. chill, relaxed, look, Kung Fu freaking. Uh -huh. Uh, praying mantises <laughs> out there, whack and press. I like it. They just hang out on the hemp plants. They they yeah. love it in there. Um, I would if I were a praying mantis and you put me in there. I'd be like, this is I. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, we also put bug zappers at the end of each tunnel because okay. what was actually happening is, is the moths will come in and they would lay their eggs at the at the tallest colas. Your best colas. They would lay their eggs and then those eggs hatch into little worms and they would just eat the buds. And I mean, caterpillars go after cannabis, unlike any other crop I've ever seen, you know, more than cabbage, more than anything. Um, and so the bug zappers help to kind of reduce the moth population. And, um, and so, yeah, we're just trying to get better each year, but uh, there's something to be said, having those stressors to, to help the plant essentially become more potent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it, it, it it amuses me too that there even are pests that really uh, attack the cannabis plant. Like it seems to me, like I was always told, and I think this was overzealousness trying to sell legalization back in the day that you know cannabis was pest free. And I guess maybe if you're growing industrial hemp, which was a huge push, by the way, there was a huge push for that because it was retarded that we couldn't do it. 
and it's it's a great product, and it does that product also. Let's talk a little bit about that. I know we'll get back onto the, the, the stuff more like you grow here in a second, but it's actually a great product. It's more than just something we can make rope out of. There's a, there's a nutritional element with seed. Hemp seed is an incredibly nutritious product, and then there's just like you can make plastic Mm-hmm. out of freaking hemp. You can make biofuel out of hemp. We can make biochar. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have this vision of like this operation like yours growing in soil in a greenhouse and a nearby industrial hemp manufacturer taking all their excess biomass, turning it into freaking uh, biochar and selling it to you to improve your greenhouse. Like something like that, that kind of a circular economy. But there's, I, I think it's actually one of the reasons that it was attacked after World War II is that the petrochemical industries, uh, the plastic industry, et cetera, did not really want to have to compete with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to see more hemp, uh, like true industrial hemp production in this country. You know, I know, especially in this state, we've got a ton of farmers uh, in this area. It was a big uh, tobacco production uh, back in the day. And, and a lot of these farms have everything they need to just transition into industrial hemp. And I really wish it. But the problem is there's really not the processing facilities that that a farmer can. So, okay, I can I'm going to grow out this amount. I'm going to get this price for it. I'm going to take it to this one produce processor and they're going to write me a check. And that's Mm -hmm. what most farmers want to do. But with the CBD market being what it is, a lot of farmers were left sitting on all this flour that they weren't able to move. It was Mm -hmm. just. And so it really discouraged a lot of people. A lot of people lost a lot of money. I think our first year in 2019, there were 2,000 hemp permits issued in the state of North Carolina alone. Last year, I remember hearing it was less than 100. So we're talking about a huge attrition rate. And it, and it sucks because really industrial hemp would probably be suited to to more of these bigger farms. Yeah. You know, I don't if you're growing 40 acres of CBD, like that's a lot to move. Dude, um, that's, but, yeah. That's a lot of flour, and it, it's, it's very so labor. Many new industries that anybody can end that have low entry to barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. They follow a simple cycle: boom, glut, bust. Yep. And when all this started up, I remember on social media saying the CBD industry is going to go boom, glut, bust. And people mm-hmm. like, how do you know? What do you? Because it always does. Because anything like this always will. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully we see us going forward. You like you nailed it with, with the, the products we could be making from industrial hemp, but also like hempcrete is a is a really cool oh, option huge. where you know and, and everybody's if everybody's worried about carbon and stuff, well we could be sequestering that carbon into the plant. We could also be growing it on on ground that has been polluted with pesticides or heavy metals. And if we're just gonna put it into hempcrete, yeah, then great, because it's gonna clean that soil. It's a bioaccumulator, so it's gonna pull all that toxin out of the soil and then we can just make concrete Line it up in concrete build a highly insulative uh multi-century structure out of that Mm -hmm. that's crazy talk and you know like i'm sure you've seen the videos where like a dude will get like a badass blowtorch and just hit the hempcrete block with it and just pound and it just won't burn it just smolders like it's it's basically a fireproof building material Wow. No, and so that. you've got high insulation, lightweight, easy to make. Um, and only, I want to say government, but it's not government. It's existing industrial structure leveraging government is inhibiting it because we could literally be growing towns. So I mean, you could move into a place. It's such an easy plant to grow. If we're not worried about, you know, mold in the bud, if we're not worried about THC levels or CBD levels, we're just growing industrial hemp. Mm-hmm. You really can grow that shit almost anywhere. 
Mm-hmm. So you could actually do developments where you take like a 200 acre development and you break off a piece to grow hemp, process it right on site, start building houses. And as you start building kind of your last houses, transition to maybe food crops mm. for the people that live there. You know, that's that would be that's awesome. where that could go. And, it, and, and you would have most of your most of your building materials, not your finishings. But most of your building materials could then be built on site and you could develop structures on land without timber or reserve what timber is there long term instead of cutting down trees and milling trees. And it sounds like a pipe dream, but there's actually no reason that wouldn't work. No, I don't see why not. Um, we just you if know, we I put the time horizon right. Everybody wants to move in, throw up sticks and bricks and then haul ass and then go mm-hmm. to the next development. If we get that time horizon out, you know, half a generation we can we can revolutionize everything just with just that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it, and it, and uh, uh, Eka Mouse is saying here, hemp has been proven to extract heavy metals from soil around uh, Chernobyl. Yes, it's one of the best remediators of soil. We have we have shitty soil everywhere because of what we've done to it, mm-hmm. and we could bind that up biologically. You put it inside hempcrete. It's not dangerous to anybody anymore. There's been studies done on that. And then we could actually start to fix that field's fertility and grow things in it like, I don't know, trees or grass for cows to eat. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not big on cows eating heavy metal grown <laughs> grasses and then eating that cow. There's so much that could be done. Let's get back into what you're doing. Like, how, what's the size of your operation? How do you ensure quality of your product? Like, not just like potency, but quality as well. Right. So we're on, you know, basically growing on half an acre. Every all the hemp's grown under high tunnels. I think I have around uh, eight or nine high tunnels and uh, we're probably doing around 400 to 500 plants. We're spacing them at about three feet a piece. Um, and and we're basically, you know, putting up trellis netting because these plants get really big and heavy um, and the trellis netting helps support them. Uh, otherwise they will just fall over. They'll like get too big and they can, the wind can blow them over and we're going through and we're doing hard pruning. So when it's, you know, August set, we're just going through those tunnels and we're just pruning off all those fan leaves, which is going to bring more light to the buds. And it's also providing a slight, um, a slight stress response from the plant. It's also going to help with airflow. And so we're really trying to baby these plants because it really this market is it's top shelf or bust. There's really no no room for anything else. Um, I can't go to some of my like if I had something that's brown and smells like hay, there's just not a market for it. Sure. So it, in a way, that's cool because it, it gives you a, as a as a farmer a chance to kind of you know, get competitive with it. Um, you know, if I just go and I have carrots, a carrot's kind of a carrot to most people. But with this, we can kind of if you put in the effort and you go through the whole process, you can get, you know, a top shelf product or kind of a medium to low shelf product, depending on, you know, how you grow it. And so it starts with, you know, finding really good genetics. You know, we'll plant out in we'll transplant in July, like 4th of July, and then by September we're harvesting. And in those three months, it's going from a three-inch seedlings to, you know, basically a, a, a six- to eight-foot-tall tree with a trunk that might be, you know, four to five inches in diameter. It's, it's amazing how much mass and how vigorous these plants can grow. But around that uh, September time, we're going through, and I'll go through each tunnel every day, and I'll check the ripeness. And uh, and then we'll basically harvest in layers. So we're going to take the top layer first 
And then that, and that gonna, is going to open the plant up to more light. So now the bottom layer can really Real firm much. up. Exactly. And just getting an extra week of direct sunlight on those buds is going to help everything uh, really increase in potency and density and get you a better yield. Um, we're, we're then putting it into our dry room. We're setting it at 65% uh, relative humidity, keeping cool temperatures and just doing a slow dry. You can dry this with like, a, you know, getting a fire going in a wood burning stove, but yeah. that's going to pull out too much moisture too fast and it's going to give you a really harsh uh, bud. So um, like everything we're doing is really tailored towards trying to get that, you know, top shelf product. And, and what type of product then do you make from that? I know you do oils. Do you do you offer CBD bud directly? I mean, yeah. So we'll do we'll take uh, some of the hemp flour, some of the CBD flour, and we'll make oil, which we can also make salve from, which is really good for sore muscles. We're, we're also uh, we'll sell the flour just as it is. Um, CBD flour is not going to get you high. It doesn't have any psychoactive effects, but it is still very relaxing, and it could be a good alternative for people who are not looking for that THC effect. Uh, or even maybe somebody who's trying to quit smoking uh, cigarettes. Mm. It could be a good alternative to that. You also don't have to smoke it. You could vape it. Uh, another thing we do is is live resin, where we're basically doing a five-day dry on our flour, and we're freezing it and then taking it to our processor uh, for them to do an extraction. And so they're then concentrating it. So maybe the flour by itself has 15% CBD. When you concentrate it, that's going to bump up to around 65% CBD. So okay. it's going to be a much more potent product that people, you know, might then vape. And, and, and essentially it just lets you to get the, uh, the effects with using less. And it's also very flavorful. So, um, we've kind of developed a niche for that. And, um, we also do the gummies as well. So, so also like I know you saw online and that probably means certain things can go to certain states and other things can't go to other states. Do you, is that the only way that you sell to retail is through your online shop? You don't have like a brick and mortar store or do you? No, we don't really have uh, our own brick and mortar store, but we've got around uh, maybe 15 accounts in the Asheville area and a few others throughout the southeast that will carry our products, you know, health food stores, dispensaries, that sort of thing. And so we've we've developed relationships with some of them. And uh, it's it's hard because what they want is always changing. Yeah. Um, you know, right now, the big push is for THCA flour, which is is really just weed. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> that's, I, I don't know what else to say. It, yeah. it's, uh, it's another it's, novel THC, I guess. Well, it, it is traditionally what, you know, it's basically THC in its acid form. Okay. So when they regulate it, Delta 9 is what that turns into when you heat it up. Okay. Right? So when you heat it above 200 degrees, it decarboxylates, it turns into Delta 9. Wow. They never regulated THCA. So it's like you could have something that might be 25% THCA and less than 0.3% Delta 9. Yeah. And companies are like, hey, it's, it's, it's legal. We're just following what you wrote. And, I mean, that's maybe the most uh, – <laughs> that's kind of where it's gone now. So I have accounts that are asking – everybody's asking for it. And I'm like, well, I didn't think I could grow this. So, uh, Which is why there's no, like, natural Delta 8 flower. Like, right, it's, it's a right. CBD flower that's been, like, inoculated, I guess this would be the right term, with yeah. uh, a Delta 8 extract of some kind. So the Delta A is the precursor to the Delta A, and I guess it's – I'm not sure what that would be like as as something you would use. Like I, 
have no idea. Um, is it a straight high like a regular high? Is it is it becoming delta eight when it's smoked because it's having a higher temperature? What, how is that working? Well, no, kind of too, so the THCA is is technically delta nine THCA. And that's going to turn into Delta 9 when you heat it up. Delta 8 is going to, you know, basically it's its its own kind of thing. What they're doing with Delta 8 flower is they're taking CBD buds, they're they're spraying it with a Delta 8 distillate, okay. and then they're typically rolling it because they're rolling it in a CBG keef because it kind of makes it brown and oily. Mm. So, it's again, it's kind of a, a loophole. I um, All my accounts were asking for that a couple years ago, and I was just like, I'm not going to spray my buds. I'm not going to spray them before harvest. I'm not going to spray them after harvest. I don't really want to, you know, even though I probably could sell a lot more if I did that. Uh, But uh, the THCA thing is something kind of totally different now. You know, you could take high THC flour, and it might test under 0.3% delta 9 at harvest. And so it's, it's kind of this interesting, in a way, um, you know, and a lot of my competitors are selling it and it's just, it's, it's legit. I mean, it's weed. It's exactly what you would get going into a California dispensary. And if you check the label, it'll say THCA because mm. it hasn't been heated up yet. I got you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, how do you, like, I also know you do offer things like things that would be illegal in my state like a straight Delta nine THC gummy Mm -hmm. or something that is legal in my state, like a Delta eight gummy. Mm -hmm. How do you, cause you don't grow that I'm guessing, or do you, how do you source that? I mean, how do you have that product made? Yeah. The gummies are the one thing that don't actually come from our own flower because I couldn't grow. There's no Delta eight varieties out there. So Um, that's kind of the only way we can, we can do that. Um, with the Delta nine gummies, what those are from is actually the loophole on that is when they regulated it, they said 0.3% by dry weight. So they right. include the weight. So if you just make a bigger gummy, yeah. it's still 0.3%, but you're sneaking in 15 milligrams of THC in there. So again, it's just another loophole. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a hard industry to be a part of because the rules are always Changing. They're unclear and they're kind of changing yeah. and what's allowed and what isn't allowed. It's And I just want to be able to grow this plant. I want to be able to grow the varieties that are going to be the most medicinal for people, which is, you know, for most people probably going to be an even amount of THC to CBD or or something like a CBG flower, which is kind of another cannabinoid that is, is pretty medicinal. Is that the one that I was reading about that in some cases is basically old weed breaks down to CBG? Or is that something else? So, so old weed, as it breaks down, is going to break down to CBN, which is, a, again, another yeah, that's the one. I'm and that one is great for sleep. That's why, yeah. like, if you ever had old bud, it makes you tired. Yeah. Like the old brown stuff. It's because it's high in CBN. So, uh, but CBN is, I've never taken it, but I've heard a lot of people say really good things that well, it helps. Um, Angie's Garden is one of our other supporting vendors, and they have a CBN product. And I've told people in the audience, if you want to go to sleep, Use that, but mm-hmm. understand when I say go to sleep, I mean non-optional sleep. Like it, it's you are wiped and you are done, and yeah. you will sleep till morning, and you do not wake up like hungover or not feeling good. It, it's pretty, actually, pretty amazing. But I don't know there would be a thing to use all the time. But they basically said it's as it's as it's as a powerful a sedative as value. Mm-hmm. With none of the negatives that you would associate with value, and I didn't. And then I was doing research on it because it's very expensive, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it turns out that like 
older bud just breaks down into this, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that's great. If you could take that and avoid taking Valium or some kind of other sleep pharmaceutical, all, you know, all the better because, you know, with pharmaceuticals, it changes your brain chemistry. Yeah. Um, you're getting a synthetic version of that thing. So your body's shutting down its own natural production, which is why a lot of things like benzodiazepines, anti-anxiety meds, you can't stop those cold turkey. Yeah. You will experience extreme uh, effects, psychosis. You could have seizures. You could die because your brain has shut down its natural production because it's used to getting the synthetic version. The great thing about cannabis is that we're already producing cannabinoids every day internally. We have our own internal cannabinoid production system known as the, the endocannabinoid system. And so that's why you could do this every day for years and then not do it and be totally fine. I've never seen anybody with withdrawals from cannabis use of any form mm -hmm. ever. I'm not saying maybe it's not possible if somebody really pokes their brain to hell. I don't know, but I've never seen it. I've seen plenty of people get ready to be in a fist fight because they went, you know, 25 minutes without a cigarette. Yeah. But I have never seen anybody like, man, I got to get some weed. I've seen people that got into other drugs that have that problem. And I think it's one of the reasons that, you know, I know there's people who are like, you shouldn't use anything. Your body's a temple. Well, that's fine for you. But people do things. And to me, like, we're only beginning to understand that, like, most of the drugs that people use, I think, could be replaced with this in a much safer way. Even if I'm wrong and it's not totally safe, it's safer. Mm -hmm. Right. Which, I mean, people that, like, are puritanicals about this. So I was like, so you find out your kid had drugs. My kid would never have drugs. Every person who found out that their kid got caught with drugs said that before their kid got caught with drugs. So let's just get past that. Okay. You can, you can pick that your kid got caught with heroin, meth, or pot. Which one? And don't lie. And every damn person's going to say, well, pot. Mm -hmm. Every single person's going to, or, or you're going to have a mental illness, or you're lying because you don't want to admit it, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think people should, ideally we shouldn't need anything. That would be great. You know, I think, um, but the reality is, uh, we're pretty messed up. A lot of people are suffering from a lot of different ailments. And I think you hit on it with your episode on, you know, the system wants you sick, fat and dying. It's like, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. you've got people that have been fed garbage food their whole life. They don't exercise. They, they're feeding garbage to their mind and they're on all these pharmaceuticals and they're wondering like, why can't I sleep? Why am I anxious? Why am I? In? And, um, you know, you, the more pharmaceuticals you start adding, the more side effects come with those. And then you need more medication to counter that. And it's just like this whole rabbit hole that you could go down of just uh, of things just getting worse and worse. And so, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think if, you, you know, I, I don't also believe that. So a lot of this industry is like, oh, there's no there's nothing wrong with it. You should just use it as much as you want. I don't really think that's true either. Um, you really want to use everything in moderation. And uh, and and and, you know, people can say, well, it's a crutch. And, and that could be true. But the thing with crutches is, you know, crutches help you walk when you're crippled. And um and also, you know, but you also don't want to stay on them too long if you can, you know, you want to use it to get back and then and then be done with it. But if something can help you sleep uh, after you when you struggle for sleep, that that's a life changing product. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a question for you. When you what is the end of life cycle for a plant look like? I, I, I'm showing my ignorance. I've never grown cannabis. I've never been to somebody's grow house. I'd actually love to go do that someday. Um, but I, it's, it's grown as an annual, correct? So there is a, what, what part of the plant that is left over and what's done with it? 
So after harvest, we're basically just left with a stalk. And uh, we'll we'll cut those stalks or we'll pull them out of the ground and and I'll just save them and use them as kindling because I don't really have probably enough to take it to a processor, but mm-hmm. uh, it makes great kindling once it's all dried out. Um, I've tried shredding it; they don't really shred. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, yeah, that that's basically it. You know, in the fall we'll close up the tunnels and and just you know pull those stalks out of the ground and and then just kind of use them through the winter to uh, feed the wood burning stove. Yeah, I'm just wondering if there's any potential to take that waste stream into biochar. Since I've been doing so much research on that lately, it just it seems like such a small or such an easily burned product that it may have to use a something like a tea lud char. Like if you threw that in a cone kiln, it's just gonna go. It might smell good, but it's it's just gonna go because you you are unless I missed something when we were talking, you are growing soil based product. Yes, and so then we could close that loop and carbonize that soil with its own waste stream uh that would be an interesting little flick i i try to look inside systems and go what can we without going to extraneous circumstances what can we just flick back in versus out you know yeah that's a great idea that's the one part of our system i haven't really found a great use for like yes we can use it as kindling if we can make it into biochar even better um, yeah. You know, everything else, all those fan leaves that we're, we're pruning off during the year, we would feed them to the rabbits. The rabbits would love them. They're getting cannabinoids from those. Yeah. We also would take them to a local cafe and they, they juice them. And people swear by this, uh, oh. by the juice. It's just like an instant energy shot. And people use it for, it says it helps them with allergies or it helps them with pain. So, you know, we're trying to use every part of this plant that we can. You know, that's an interesting thing. If you were juicing, it would actually be better biochar stock. Because a lot of the energy in biochar production is used to drive off moisture first. First, we drive off moisture, then we drive off gas, and then we create carbon. Right. So the drier the product, the better. Right. That would be cool. Yeah, I got to look into that. That would be a cool use for those stocks. Yeah. I I I don't know if there's enough to make it worth doing, but it's it's just an interesting thought. And to me, like you can always add it to another waste stream because there's all these waste streams. And I'm trying to get anybody growing and protected growing in soil to start thinking about how do we how do we incorporate a biochar component to that? And can maybe we even create another revenue stream? Because the stuff you, you can make more than you need eventually. And then you have another product. Mm-hmm. Right. And you might find that other cannabis growers trust a cannabis grower more with a product than a than a non cannabis grower. I'm just trying to see these little circular economies. That's that's really cool, though. Um what about people that want to make their own, grow their own or maybe make their own product? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's great. I really think this is a plant that, you know, belongs in everybody's garden. And I don't know, every state's got different regulations on what you can grow and whatnot, but I think eventually that's where it's going. Yeah. And, you know, in a state, if you could grow five plants, that's going to be more than you and all your friends can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, it would be if you're not in a state or you don't have the ability to grow your own, um, you can find wholesale hemp flour for pretty cheap out there. And then you can basically do your own infusions. You could grind it up and make like and mix it in with some butter and do kind of a, a, a product that way. You could do an infusion in like coconut oil mm. and make oil that way. And you're going to be getting cannabinoids. It might not be as efficient of, a, of an extraction process as um, as doing like CO2 extraction, but you're still going to be getting those cannabinoids at a very you know economical way. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think that, like, I, I guess a basic salve, you could make a basic salve out of cannabis mm-hmm. the same way you would make a comfrey salve. Or a plant Absolutely. Salve. We take the cannabis oil and mix in some beeswax, and that's about it. It's just another – it's another herb that we can use. And somebody brought up – and I'm not a religious person or whatever, but somebody said, you know, in the chat here – uh, God gave man all the plants mm-hmm. for their use. If you're a religious person and you object to this, read your Genesis, right? Yeah. Like God literally did in the Bible, your book, give you every plant on the planet as food and medicine. Like that's in your book. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an interesting thing to me because I think there's many truths in many religions. And I think that is one that we have. Everything we need to exist is already here. And it doesn't need to be in an altered state, like some sort of chemical engineered process, because it must be here because we evolved here. Mm-hmm. So why would a species evolve absent a thing that species needs in the first place? And the answer is they wouldn't. They would never become what they are. They would never exist. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. You know, some I think a lot about, um, you know, the past year and a half, I've come into Orthodox Christianity. And this has been something I've been thinking about, like, well, does God want me to do this? Like, cause I see, I see the downside to the industry. I see teenagers going around vaping and I yeah. see all these products at smoke shops and I don't believe they're good products. I don't think, but at the same time, I see people that are being truly helped by these things. And so I've just thought about it. I said, well, yes, God put this plant here and we have an endocannabinoid system. Our brains are already making this stuff and has all the receptors to use this plant. And so it's one of those things that it's like it really comes down to how you're using it, how much are you using it? You know, you can you can have a glass of wine over dinner and enjoy it or you could drink a whole bottle. And there's you know, it's not that wine is bad or this is bad. It's it's all in how you use it and what you use it for. It's the implementation and to take something that can be abused and therefore not use it at all. To me, doesn't make a lot of sense because somebody Mm -hmm. can do something bad with it. Well, we wouldn't own guns. We wouldn't own knives. We wouldn't own cars. We wouldn't have bank accounts. We wouldn't have money, right? Like if you're going to put that as your litmus test, and I agree with you, like the the vaping thing has gotten way out of hand. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with uh, parental ignorance. Mm -hmm. A lot of these kids are, what is it? Oh, it's just raspberry flavored, you know, juice or something. And like parents are not involved and they're they're in their phone while the kids in their phone Mm -hmm. and the kids literally talk up out of his mind in their house and they don't know it. Right. Right. And And I I think that is very bad. But I that's not going to prevent me from using what I consider to be an amazing plant for an amazing uh, range of of things. You mentioned like salves. And I think that's something that people overlook as being one of the better uses of especially CBD like muscle aches and pains, it's actually way more effective in that form, in my experience anyway, than like an oil. Like an oil to me is more like a mental clarity, chill, relaxed thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where if you actually have pain in a spot, a good penetrating uh, salve will often address that really, really well. And then if that means that person's not taking freaking Vicodin, well, all the better. Absolutely. You know, the oil is good because it goes throughout your whole body. So it may help reduce inflammation throughout your body. But that salve is you're just getting it on that one spot that really needs it. And if you put uh, if you put like a, a warm compress 
on top of it, after you put the salve on, it kind of opens up your pores and allows all that just to kind of get in there and do its thing. And there is some healing that that's taking place there. It's not just that it's like numbing the pain like a Vicodin. Mm, it's agreed. actually doing something to heal it. Cause I've, you know, every year I would hurt my neck to the point where I couldn't you know, really move it side to side, just repetitive, you know, motion activity. And, and I would lather it up with a salve and sleep with like a hot water bottle. And the next day you'd be 90% better. I'm wondering if there's a need for a comfrey cannabis salve. That could be cool. Because I've had so much, I've never even thought of like, hey, I can just take this stuff and I can make what I already make with comfrey mm-hmm. for myself. Uh, it's interesting. Let's see if we can take some questions uh, cool. for a bit here. Uh, some of this we may have answered already. Let's see. Question, how do you stay out of trouble with the government? I think the big thing is what you're doing is legal. That's right. You know, we're following the laws that they wrote. So, you know, my my state, I have to I have a permit through the USDA and they have to come out every year, 30 days prior to harvest. And they have to test our plants and they're testing us on total THC. And so we need to test under 0.3 percent total THC for that to be a compliant crop. If they if we test over it, they're going to want us to burn it. And there's this whole process. I've never had to burn any of my plants. I, I get really good genetics that have been bred to have low THC, high CBD, and they're pretty consistent. So other than that, uh, once we have that final product, we'll send it off to a lab to get the final numbers on it. And, um, you know, that's, that's really it. You know, they, they did give us some kind of guidelines here. And uh, so really just trying to stay within those guidelines and they're always changing. So it's a little difficult, but uh, you know, that that's really the gist of it. Um, this was not really a question. It's more of a statement. We were talking about different ways that makes people feel. And Suzanne here says, I want to feel normal. And I think that is to me, like you can throw your thoughts on this, but my mm-hmm. first question, if I was working with that person in any capacity, why do you not feel normal before we talk about making you feel normal? Mm-hmm. And so this could be a billion different ways. Like this person can feel very not normal and is looking for a way to feel normal. This could be a person that does feel normal and they want to partake, but not feel unnormal, whatever that means to them. So I think we have to find the root of that question. And Suzanne, if you're still with us in live chat, you can follow up with that. But I'm like, if somebody to me, we had another comment on anxiety here in a minute. We've had a lot of anxiety. I probably wouldn't steer them toward using what we think of as like recreational pot, mm-hmm. though maybe for somebody it would work. I think everybody has different responses, and that person would be maybe better served by something like uh, a CBD product or uh, the CBN that is an incredible sleep aid. Well, you know, if the reason they don't feel normal is they're not getting a good night's sleep. So I don't think it's like this mm-hmm. thing makes you feel normal. I think it's we have to de- determine the problem. Yeah, what's making you feel abnormal? And if it is something like you're not getting enough sleep, yeah, you're not going to be good the next day. And uh, you're not going to be able to think clearly, you know, so it's um, but yeah, I shit. And that's why you don't feel normal. I don't care what weed you smoke. You're going to feel normal. Right. Right. You got to give your body what it needs. It needs, you know, good food, exercise. And, uh, you know, if you want to take a supplement like CBD to help with anxiety, uh, you know, more power to you. It's going to be way better than getting on a pharmaceutical um I really try to steer people away from that stuff if, if they Boy, can. Well, that's another thing I didn't really think of there. Like maybe the reason the person doesn't feel normal is they're on a pharmaceutical that they need to get off of. Right. And yeah. maybe something like a, a, a cannabis product might be a, a route off of that. For a lot of people, I personally did. I got either nothing or I didn't like the response from Kratom. But for a lot of people have also gotten off of opiates using Kratom as, as, mm-hmm. a, as a way, as a stair step off of that. So I think that's a deeper question than maybe we can answer in a podcast. 
uh, Haas G, Haas GS says, when growing the different plants, do you separate them in different sections, areas uh, that grow together? I think he's talking about cross pollination issues. Mm-hmm. So with there. The seed that we're using is all feminized seed. So uh, that doesn't mean you can't get a hermaphrodite. That is possible where it'll look female and it'll have one little male part. Did you probably- just assume it's gender? <laughs> what is wrong with you? I'm triggered. No, yeah. Go ahead. yeah, I mean, it's, it's a reality of the situation. Yeah. It's like yeah. we'll have we, every year you'll go through and you'll find a couple herms and you've got to pull them out. And yeah. otherwise they will pollinate your whole crop. And so but we're using pretty good seed. It's, it's I don't typically have too many hermaphrodites. And um, so if they're all females in the same tunnel, there's really no um, no worry about them cross pollinating because there's no pollen. Uh, however, what we're doing is we're uh, putting little flags and numbering each plant, okay. and we want to take cuttings from each plant too, so that if we get one plant that's got something really cool, like wow, this has got some, you want some to clone that. Yeah, we want to have those genetics to carry on because uh, there is always so much variability, even within you know pretty stable genetics, and you never know when you'll find a unicorn, you know, something that's just got something different, that, you know, and so. Um, so is that how you found, you mentioned earlier, cherry something or whatever you get, like what an award for or something. Is mm-hmm. that how you found that? It wasn't, cause I thought maybe you were intentionally doing some breeding, but it's just like maybe you, you find a lucky winner, like finding a prize in the Cracker Jack box that didn't suck and like, okay, we're going to make, like, you can clone the shit out of it once you have it. Yeah, that's true. No, the cherry cobbler was from seeds that we got. It wasn't from clones and, uh, it, it just, you know, we won, it had, uh, I think we won two awards, one for uh, highest CBD content and one for best terpene profile. Okay. So at the competition, they went through and had everybody smell in the jars yeah. and then they'd write down what they thought smelled the best. And that okay. one just was, was really potent. So see, and that's another thing too. Like, so how a plant has grown, like just two people get the same seed, genetically identical. If it was mm-hmm. grow it in two different environments, you're going to get two different results. Absolutely. That's true of a tomato. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't it be true of cannabis? It's very true. And it kind of provides a it's sort of a problem because in, say, like a recreational state where they have dispensaries, you could go to one dispensary and get Blue Dream and go to uh, another dispensary and get Blue Dream. And they might hit you totally differently. Yeah. There's all these other factors that go into the terpenes of that plant or, you know, the, the full cannabinoid makeup of that plant. It'd be interesting to start taking some like just straight up bricks readings of the leaf of different plants mm. what's the density like think of it as nutritional density right like i bet the higher that bricks reading is the higher everything else is as well and the more pest resistant and stronger that plant's going to be as well that's an interesting that would observation be cool. yeah um how do you process the plant to get the product you want i think we kind of hit that but do you want to add anything to that right now yeah, basically after, you know, for our oil, for instance, we'll do a full dry on our flower and then I'll take it to a processor. Uh, actually, they just moved here to Asheville. So um, and they'll do subcritical CO2 extraction and they'll they'll run all that flower and they'll give me back an oil. And then um, that's the oil that's then going to go into our salve. If we're making concentrates, I'm going to take it to a different processor uh, with different type of processing equipment for that product. And um, for the flower itself, we're basically just drying it and curing it ourselves. Gotcha. Um, K-Bonk says, how do you know it's quality product? So much lore info out there. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's like one of those things, I guess, you know, it when you see it, you know, it's the first thing people do is they crack the jar and they smell the flower and sure. then they, you're going to, you should, you know, let's just say for CBD oil, you can't really do that. 
And so how do you know that the stuff at the gas station or this rent hike, how do you really know quality? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it would probably be just best not to buy your stuff like this from a gas station. Yeah. Just yeah, don't disagree. Right. Like, no, they're, they're just looking for the cheapest product they can get on the shelf. Yeah. And uh, they're really not vetting it to see if it was grown in, in, in good soil or if it has any, you know, pesticides or heavy metals in it. So, yeah, that's usually good advice. I would find, you know, find a farm. It's just like when you buy your vegetables. Uh, find a farm that you trust and go with them. And, you know, people, they should feel it. Even though CBD oil is not psychoactive, if it's real CBD, you should feel it. You should feel relaxed. You should, you know, experience the effects. It's not going to hit you in the face like THC, but you know, if it's, if it's working, you should feel it working. Yeah. I kind of liken it to like a really good herbal tea will mm-hmm. relax you. Mm-hmm. And so it should be something like, they won't be the same, but it should be something like that. Yeah. Definitely. Like where there is, if not, what are you doing it for? Right. right? And, like and if there is no, like you might as well drink water then. Right. Yeah, you should be experiencing relief. Like the products have to work or it's or what are you doing? And, um, you know, the thing is, like with like I go back to the anti-anxiety medication, you know, benzodiazepines, if you're suffering from anxiety, um, you know, I, I don't know. I've really I, I've been on that stuff. I've gone down that road. And I can say that if you're anxious, I, I think if you take enough CBD oil, you're going to be chill. Like, I don't care. You're going to be chilled out and you, you should feel it. And so, you know, for preppers, too, one of the things we worry about is being in a bad situation and having that one person that won't shut up and sit down and relax. That might be a reason to keep some of that around. Just just for that, I'm just saying, like, because the, the panicked person in the situation that's not really that bad can make the situation really that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a preparedness scenario, your mind sets everything. Yeah. I don't care how many guns or how much food you have stored up. Where, where's your mind? And if you're yeah. not sleeping or if you're anxious, you're not going to make good decisions. Uh, Haas also says, what's your take on the future of the cannabis industry? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know which way it's going to go. I don't know if they're going to introduce some legislation to crack down on all these loopholes. But I think overall, uh, it's sort of the cat's out of the bag. And I think that there's enough people that are, uh, you know, being helped by cannabis that are in favor of cannabis. Yeah. That I would expect it to just be, you know, what I would like to see is that it's just decriminalized. Um, that would be actually be preferable to legalization because in places where they've legalized it, it's still really inaccessible to a lot of people because they're taxing it at 45 percent. Yeah. And it's like, just let people grow this plant like a tomato, you know, like anything yeah. else and trust that they can be responsible for their own decisions and uh, let them grow their own medicine. So I, I think that's where it's going eventually. But there's going to be a lot of, you know, as, as legalization rolls out, there's a lot of people trying to get their finger in the pie and companies trying to corner markets and yeah. just kind of have to weather the storm. I think regulation will come in the form of inspection, reporting, permitting, taxing. Like mm-hmm. that's how regulation always comes once the cat's out of the bag because the big fish want to – they don't want to eat the little fish. They want the little fish to die. <laughs> yeah. They want the little fish to just float to the top and, and go away, right? They mm-hmm. want to eat them. They like the big fish like to eat medium fish, mm-hmm. right? They like because then they get bigger, right? So that's companies merging and buying out competitors and all. They don't have time to go out and buy all the minnows, right? Yeah, the minnows yeah. are a problem. They're all decentralized. They all have their own <laughs> ideas. They're all doing innovative things that compete with you, and none of them really hurt. They're all a little nick to your giant profit margin, but a thousand nicks is a big bleed. And that's why they want to like, that's how you, it's like, so 
if you have like a big bug climbing on a on a on a wall and you don't want that bug there, you smack it and it's gone, right? But when you have a million little aphids, you spray them. Yeah. And so that's what regulations are. They're like an insecticide for all your little annoying competitors. But I, I don't know. I don't know that that can be done now because it is very decentralized. And, you know, if you if you leave it legal or decrim, then you get something that the state can get their their beak a little bit wet in and, and everything's above ground. If you if you like if you think pushing it back down will work then you didn't grow up in the 1980s where maybe I had to take a ride up to Shemokin with the boys, but you could always get some, right? So you actually end up, and that's why, I think that's partly why we've ended up with these weed strains that are like, how much THC is it? Like 99%, -hmm. dude. Like, because these small amount laws, well, then we'll just like, it's the same thing in Prohibition. That's why everybody quit drinking cider and wine and beer and started drinking gin, Mm-hmm. and whiskey because you could fit more in a bottle. It was illegal anyway, so we might as well concentrate it and have less transportation costs. Yeah, it's kind of just an example of the regulation actually creating more unsafe products out there. Yeah, um, yet another one. Right? Yes. <laughs> yet another one. So um, we have kind of two questions here we'll put together. Haas again, do some of these products pass a drug test? And do you know if there's any push to change piss tests to account for low levels legal THC? This is a weird place to be in mm-hmm. because now you have a person goes to their employer, they take a drug test, they pop positive for pot, right? Let's just go to the extreme. They're in a state that has medical marijuana provision. They've been prescribed the medication by a doctor, mm-hmm. right? And that t- term, an employer wants to terminate them. And I also want to kind of put in there, and you talked to this as well, like there are a lot of products out there that maybe they're not designed to get high, but they still may cause you to, fail a drug test. So you have to be careful with losing your job. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, our our CBD oil is full spectrum, meaning it has more than just CBD in it. Now it has less than 0.3% THC, but there is still a small amount of THC in there along with other cannabinoids. And that could cause you to fail a drug test. I don't think it would, but it is possible depending on all these factors I can't account for, like what, what's your body weight, what's your metabolism, like how much did you take and when did you take? Like, so I always tell people like, yes, that is possible. Unfortunately, these drug tests don't test for a quantity. It's a threshold test. Mm-hmm. So you're either over the threshold or you're under it and they don't set the threshold very high. I've heard people failing for even secondhand smoke. Like yeah. they went to a concert and somebody smoked the joint. Contact and they, high, right? Yeah. And it, it's just, so the, the thresholds are not very high and it's really not a great way of them doing it. And it is kind of confusing because I, I believe in like, um, you know, a state where you have medical, well, you know, are they testing for opiates too on that drug test? But if you're prescribed Vicodin, they're going to give you a pass. Yeah. So it's like a double standard. That's yeah. really not fair to people. I have a prescription from a medical doctor that says this is my medicine. And people could say it's a loophole. Loophole or not, it is what it is under a legal concept, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and don't tell me the person on Vicodin might not be dangerous in the workplace to themselves and others because they certainly could be. Mm-hmm. If they're And that person that's on the Vicodin is far more likely to be using Vicodin while at work right. than the person using cannabis. I generally would not, if I was working a job job, you know, like in a kitchen or something, like as a server, I'm not going to be toked while I'm doing that job. I guess mm-hmm. some people would. I personally wouldn't. Right. But the person on Vicodin says take every four hours or whatever, and mm-hmm. that's what they're going to do, right? 
Yeah. Uh, Chill Gamer says, not to start a debate, but I'm a regular THC. Uh, my fine regular THC pot helps my anxiety. Maybe I'm weird or it's not really anxiety. It works better than Delta A2. Well, maybe it does. I think different people respond different ways. Mm-hmm. But I think in general, like, <clears throat> straight up pot can cause anxiety. And so it might not be the right choice for most people. Yeah, it it, it hits everybody different ways. <clears throat> and um, depending on where you are in your life, you know, THC might hit you differently a month from now if you're in a if you have a lot of anxiety about some situation that you know your mind is now changed and now it's hitting you a different way. Um, or some people when they're younger, like in high school, THC they get no anxiety. As soon as they turn 25, their brain chemistry changes and now they get really weirded out when they smoke pot. So yeah, you know, it's 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 really interesting how it really does affect everybody a different way and everybody has a different you know tolerance level for it. And I think it's also the poison in the dose theory, right? So, like I, I mentioned, I would would have referred to myself for the majority of my life when it came to cannabis, a one-hitter quitter, mm-hmm. right? So, like, maybe the person who has a little bit of cannabis, it helps their anxiety. But if they're, if they're you know, toked all the time, because I've had plenty of people email me from my audience and say, I had to get off cannabis because it was causing me to be paranoid and causing mm-hmm. me to have anxiety. Right. And paranoia is just a form of anxiety, in my opinion. You know, unless it's you know, the only time I say that's not true is when the paranoia is not actually paranoia, because the thing you're paranoid about is actually real. Like if somebody's outside your house trying to kill you and you're anxious about that, you're not paranoid. You're aware. Yeah. Right. But the paranoia of the thing that's not there. And I, I do know people who have gotten themselves into that place <laughs> with using weight, some of them way too much. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And I think for most people, if they if they're looking for the psychoactive effects, the best blend for them is going to be equal parts CBD to THC yeah. or maybe even a little bit more CBD because it just it really curbs that anxiety effect. And uh, they, they work well together. Well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that THC acts as a psychotic and CBD <clears throat> acts as an antipsychotic. Right. Interesting. Yeah. That's the way I, that's the way Brian uh, from Food Forest Farm Scrambling explained it to me. Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. Um, it's definitely psychoactive and, and CBD is just it's really not. So they, yeah. they do kind of balance each other out in that way. Yeah. Um, economics question. Joe said, how did he get financing and will his bank hold his earnings? That's so, a can of worms. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I you know I started this farm with with uh, six thousand dollars, and that money went really fast. You know, basically just moving down here, that money went fast, and then it was a process of unfortunately taking on on debt and uh, and just kind of you know trying to pay the debt the best I can and this and that. Now, when it gets into cannabis, yes, the the banking regulations are very iffy. Um, some companies can can do banking and other companies have a really hard time. I think we we had an easier time because I was a vegetable farm. So when I was opening up my bank account, she said, what do you grow? And I said, well, vegetables. I said vegetables and hemp. And she said, I'm just going to put down vegetables. You didn't lie. It's like, you know. But it's it's silly because it's it's federally legal. We're following the guidelines, and and it's like just. But you couldn't really go it to a licensed. But there's yeah. been a lot of attacks. Like the kratom industry has had it too. Like literally, it's almost impossible to take a credit card for kratom. Hmm. Interesting. Like it's. It, I'm not saying it is because somebody's gonna say I do it all. Okay, fine. But it's uh, the banks were kind of set off on this because the government couldn't get the political 
wherewithal to actually ban Kratom, but they didn't like it, so they wanted it to go away. Mm-hmm. And I'm smelling the pharmaceutical industry all over that one. Probably, right? yeah. I think yeah, the two biggest lobbies against the cannabis industry is the prison lobby. Mm-hmm. Notice I did not say the law enforcement lobby, the punitive side of law enforcement, the prison lobby, mm-hmm. which the fact that there is a prison lobby alone should just like that should be one of the most revealing things about the society you actually live in, folks, that there's a prison lobby and the and the pharmaceutical lobby. They're the two that hate this thing, yep. which means you probably shouldn't hate it. Right. It's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of thinking there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I I remember I was like keeled over with the flu. Uh, like this was back in 2018 and CBD was just coming on the scene and somebody gave me like a CBD vape cart. And I, I took a few puffs on that and like the stomach pain just went away. Wow. And that's when I was like, oh, this is going to be this is going to be huge. This is going to be a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell people what we're going to be doing for them? Uh, as And it will probably happen sometime today. I need to have. Tom, make the update for me when you get me a little half paragraph. But we're going to be doing a discount at your website for MSV members. How's that going to work? Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll send you over the code and and a brief write-up. It's basically going to be 20% off uh, everything site-wide for all uh, TSP MSV members. And that can actually be stacked with bulk discounts. We're one of the few companies that actually give bulk discounts if you buy, say, a three-pack or a six-pack of oil. Uh, that's going to give you 10 to 15 percent off, respectively. You can combine that with a 20 percent off. And the thing is, I have to set my prices where they are because I don't I'm not trying to undercut my retail vendors. Yeah. You know? And so I have to kind of price it there. But with those discounts, you're actually going to be getting it for what they pay for. what. So you're getting it. It allows people to get wholesale pricing on this stuff, which, you know, I think if you're going to buy, you know, three or six bottles of CBD oil, you you deserve a wholesale discount. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. And, and you know, we're doing it as a private membership, basically. So that's protecting mm-hmm. those retailers, which is good because yep. I in long back in my uh, corporate days, I used to run a product, not a, a food product or a, a plant product, but a very expensive uh, piece of electrical test equipment through a distribution chain. And you want to piss off. And you don't want to piss off your distribution chain. That's that's bad business. So uh, that's great to hear. And I'll make sure we get that there as soon as possible for you folks. I think this is interesting. This is a quote that 229 Mick posted. The effect of the war on drugs is that the price of cocaine went from $100 a gram to $25 a gram. And the cost of cannabis went from $20 an ounce to $400 an ounce. Bruce Lauer. That's an interesting observation. I don't know exactly how true that is. I don't, I've never had any $400 an ounce weed, but <laughs> maybe I haven't had the really good stuff yet. I don't know. Like Anyway, man, um, I appreciate you being with us today. Thanks for reaching out. Thanks for the discount. Again, uh, I think I still have it in the cut and paste. Yeah, akirabotanicals.com. I have it up on the screen right now. That's where you can go to check out all of the cool stuff that Rand has. Uh, I have sampled the product, uh, pretty much most of the things that are there. It is all very, very high quality. Uh, I'm happy to add you to uh, our, our group of vendors that offer product in this in this area, uh, like Angie's Gardens and like um, uh, John Bush's company, et cetera. So uh, I, I really appreciate you being with us today. I really appreciate you offering that discount. That's a huge value add for folks that want to use a product like this because 
it's not inexpensive and it shouldn't be. It's a high quality product that is very demanding to be able to produce at the level of quality that you're producing. And it, it's, I'll just tell people it's first rate all across the board. It's not just the quality of the product, the packaging, the care, everything about it. When you handed me that sample box, I knew right away I was going to have you on the air. At that point, I'm like, there's no way anybody put this much into this side of it and then puts a shitty product in it. Yeah. That's, that's not how this industry works. It really isn't. So um, first rate stuff. And uh, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thank, thanks for having me on the show, Jack. Really appreciate it. So, guys, I hope you enjoyed that show. Uh, somebody said in the live chat during that, I never thought I'd see Jack do a show on the devil's lettuce. This is not the only show we've done on cannabis. I've actually done quite a few on it. Uh, I look at cannabis as a plant. That's what it is. And any plant can be used to excess, right? Mm -hmm. Any plant can be, most plants can be helpful in some way. Many can be dangerous. Far more plants are dangerous than animals when it comes to consumption. So uh, I, I just see this mm -hmm. as another plant that we need to really look deeply into what it can do for humanity. And I think that we, we've only begun to see that. Uh, not that long ago, the uh, official viewpoint of the United States government and the United States medical industry was there's absolutely no medical case to be made for can cannabis while it was being used for medical things. But then they discovered, as Rand mentioned, the endocannabinoid system and realized that you had an entire system in your body dedicated to cannabinoids. Ah, maybe we should look into this. It's like this plant was made for humanity in some ways. With that, I want to remind you guys that you can help support this show. One way, like we mentioned today, is become a member of the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you help support the show at about 18.3 cents an episode, and uh, you get great discounts. Probably the discount that Rand just gave, if you're going to use this product at any regular interval of your life, alone would cover your membership, let alone many of the other things that we have available. We have over 70 supporting vendors. The other thing that we do uh, where you can help support us, and this is kind of the painless way, is do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. Every day on tspaz.com and on the website itself, the survivalpodcast.com, I, I tend to have an item of the day, something that I own, I use in my own life. This has nothing to do with cannabis, uh, but it does have to do with preparedness. This is a product from a company called Monoprice. These are releasable cable ties or zip ties. Most people know what a zip tie is, a zip, and it holds a thing. Well, it's a little tab on it. You push the tab and you can take it off and reuse it. The uses for this product are innumerable. I can't really tell you how many. I've not probably discovered them. I use them for like quick repairs on gates. I use them to put together things that I make basically uh, duck trackers for baby ducks. that so take some uh, pan cattle panels and, and, and put them together and then you can reuse them. I use them for my cable management on all this crazy stuff going on over here because you can always reuse it. They're black and UV stabilized, so they don't last forever in the sun, but they last a lot longer than white ones. They cost less than buying the chitty ones at Home Depot or Lowe's. They're on sale today. The, the uh, 8-inch and 12-inch ones are on sale for about 6 bucks a 100 And they're a very large, high quality, like thick, so they're long-lasting, and they're very flexible. They're not like something you have to fight. So I love them. They're one of like my top 10 items I use most on my homestead. And everything that you find there is something that, uh, again, I buy it and I buy it again if I, I wouldn't recommend it to you. Also want to remind you guys about the TSP Swag Shop, tspswag.com. We have our T-shirts and stuff like that. or We just added these really cool mugs. Uh, but also this shirt. This has been doing really well. Uh, this is a quote that I made on the air a few weeks ago, and we got the shirt up really quick. Politics. 
a game invented by psychopaths, run by sociopaths, played by idiots. Check that out. Check out all the other cool stuff uh, that we have. We have hoodies. Uh, we have uh, mugs and tumblers and things like that. Uh, we have a whole set of stuff dedicated just to the Bitcoin breakout stuff. Uh, check us out today. There's the new tumbler and, and uh, coffee mug right there. Same mug that I've got right here. Really great looking design. Uh, Nick and his wife do a fantastic job running that shop. So definitely check that out. With that, I'm ready to wrap up. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the episode today. I found it extremely informative. And again, on the cannabis industry as a whole, I, I am big on building circular economies, parallel economies that can scale, but scale to the size of where we kind of know the people in the community we're doing business with. And I think this is one of the uh, real opportunities there. I had a guy on yesterday talking about a plant called Azola, but they're also doing things and work with cannabis uh, and cannabis growing operations and things. So there's so much tie in. Monday, we did a show on biochar, and then that comes up again today. Uh, I think there's just so much opportunity out there, and uh, I think it's a space that still has room for growth uh, for more people to get involved with. So it might be something that would work for you. So check into it if it's something that is doable in your area. And I also encourage people to think about becoming home growers where legal or be really smart if not really smart if not. But more and more places are opening the door to that as well. And that further decentralizes it. And it's a lot like the Second Amendment. You want to defend the Second Amendment, own a gun and be responsible with it. You want to defend the ability to grow a plant. Once it becomes legal, grow the hell out of it under the legal framework uh, so that it becomes something they can't get their arms around. Be ungovernable, my friends. And with that, has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house. The American way Dollar down, a dollar a month And you 